Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of the Undeniable Future Podcast. Today is a very special day. Joined by Justice and Steve as usual. Mm-hmm. But we have a special guest. Nyasha Maforo, PhD student at the University of California, Los Angeles, is here. Yes. And we got a crowd. <laughs> Yep. Thank you, guys. Socially distance crowd. <laughs> so, Nyasha, we're kind of just lovely. gonna go. We're just kind of just gonna go over. Um, a lot of it has is gonna be about heart health and really what it's like to be a scientist. I feel like a lot of people don't understand what scientists really do. So, it's gonna be cool to kind of get a background from you of uh, what that's kind of like and what your day to day life is is all about. Sure. No, that's exciting. I'm excited to talk about that because I think, like you said, a lot of people don't always know what all of it means. I didn't know. So thanks for having me. For sure. Thank you for being here. And uh, before we even get into that, can you introduce yourself? Give us a kind of a background of your, uh, your education, where you've been the last few years. Yeah. Um, so as we mentioned, I'm Yasha. I am 27. I am in my fifth year of my PhD program at UCLA. Um, before I did this, I did physics for my bachelor's at um, a small university in Kansas called Fort Hayes State University. Hey, and then I Fort got, Hayes. Yeah, <laughs> Tigers, Tigers for life. Um, so if you've never heard about Fort Hayes, we have now. Uh, it's a great <laughs> school. I encourage people to look into it. Um, I graduated in 2015, and then I took a year off and did um, a post-bac, which is just a post-bachelor's research um, program at the University of Chicago. So I spent a year in the Chai, which was really great, and then um, came out to LA in 2016 to start the program. That's a pretty good, that's a pretty good background. Like, it seems like you've had this practice, you know? I was like, I don't think I <laughs> could give bit. a good synopsis like that of what I've done in my life at all. So, but like, you're talking about Fort Hayes. You're talking about Fort Hayes. And I know a lot of people... Um, they get really worried about the college they start out at and where they, and uh, what that means for them, like where they get their degree. So a lot of people don't know about Fort Hay State. It's a very small university in general, right? So mm-hmm. what, would you, what would you say to the people who are starting out a new degree and, or who are just about to go to college and want to know, do I need to go to a big school? Do I need to spend that kind of money? Do I, like, how is that going to affect their chances of being able to do bigger and greater work later on in their careers? That's a very good question. And I can only answer that from my perspective. Mm. And, I, and it's going to depend for, for, for everyone. It's going to depend on so many different things and so many different factors where you're starting out and where you are. But what I can say, and I think I'm a testament, which is, it, it doesn't matter how you start, but really like just once you get on that path, continue on it, always be mindful of what it is that you want to do. Because I think it's, you'll always have the opportunities that you're meant to have that are for you. And so I don't think that if you start at a small school that you won't have the opportunities to end up at a bigger school. Cause I started out at a small school that nobody has ever heard of. Um, but along the way I met people who introduced me to certain things and exposed me to, um, certain research areas and that had me asking so many more questions about what I could do and where I could go 
And eventually I found my way here. So um, I think that everyone's path is completely different, but it doesn't matter where you start or how you start. You can still get to where you're trying to go. For sure. And it seems like you had a lot of stops uh, on the way there. You said you went to Fort Hayes in Kansas, uh, Chicago, UCLA. Mm -hmm. Did you have that uh, that path in mind when you started? Did you kind of figure it out on your way? Were there like people that you spoke to, professors that you had that kind of pushed you in certain directions? Or did you have the plan oh. of what you wanted to do uh, set up beforehand? Certainly. No, a lot of my path was getting figured out as I was living it. Um, so for an example, if you want to eventually do your doctorate and are interested in research, it's important to get started really early in your undergrad. And for me, that was a limitation. So that, that can be a limitation at a smaller school is that you may not have access to all of the research that you might be interested in. And so, but that's, but that's not uh, a huge hurdle, really, because what you can do is look out for summer programs. And so that's what I did. Um, and actually, I was able to go to Chicago before I even graduated and spend some time there to do a summer research program that was really intensive. Um, so there are opportunities, even if you don't currently have them at your school. And so talking to people really helped and um, just kind of figuring things out that way. And you... You kind of, you became a scientist almost by accident, I guess, right? Because you started off with, yes. uh, with a physics degree. Yes. Um, yes, exactly. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm trying to think of how I would, I would phrase that. But it does feel a little bit serendipitous because I went to college because I was going to be a doctor. That was where my mind was set. Because mm -hmm. y'all know this and African parents and, and households. <laughs> there's, there's only like three things that Doctor, you can lawyer, do, right? You can do doc <laughs> exactly, you name those. So I was like, that's what I'm going to do. That's what cousins have done. And I actually came to college and I took a physics class and I was like, wow, this is really interesting to me. It was really difficult, but I was really, really interested in it. And uh, then also by chance, I saw a poster in my physics department that said medical physics. I was like, ooh, what is that? And that was really going to combine both of them fields that I really liked and enjoyed. And then with medical physics, I found a big component that was important was research. And because of that summer program I did, I found out that I really liked being on the side of asking the questions and developing the techniques and things that would later be translated in the actual clinic and in the hospital. So really it was by chance that I ended up kind of doing this. I, I had no idea what a medical physicist was. I had no idea what being a scientist was really like. I thought I'd have to be in the lab with a coat and working with chemicals, but my, <laughs> my type of research doesn't do any of that. So yeah. being a scientist is really broad, and we can get into that a little bit later. But, um, yeah, so I, I kind of feel like it was almost by accident. I had no idea how to get to this. So this is going to be kind of maybe a harder question to answer, but as a Ph.D. student and... Well, okay, we'll start off as a PhD student. What do you really do day to day when it comes to your schooling life in particular? Yeah. So this is, one again, another one of those questions that is different for everyone, depending on what the mm. program they're in. Uh, but typically, a lot of PhD programs run in a way that your first year, you're taking classes, um, and sometimes your second year as well. So for my program, it's really course heavy the first year. That's really all I did. And in that time, you're also supposed to um, rotate in different, um, we call them labs, different research groups to figure out what your interest is and to see if you would want to commit to that research group for the 
remaining time of your PhD. So my first year was all classes, and then I uh, committed to a lab that's, um, at the end of my first year. And so once you've committed to your lab, then you start looking for the research topic that you're going to work on for the remaining um, time. And just fast forward, you end up making, you do an exam of sorts that is uh, basically laying out your plan for your PhD. You basically say, okay, to your committee of people, I want to work on this project. These are the steps I'm going to take to complete this project. And you take this exam and they, um, by passing it, they're kind of giving you that they're, they're confident that you can do these things that you said you would do. And so once you have that plan, what you do day to day is really up to you. Um, you got to just arrange your day in a way that will um, help you get gain progress on the projects that you're making. So for an example, for me, right now I'm doing a lot of uh, analysis for um, some of my research and there are times where I'm doing a lot of writing because we also have to write and publish. And so my day-to-day can look like a whole lot of analysis using computer programming uh, and some meetings sometimes because it's also important to collaborate with people and working on these projects is always a team effort. Um, So it's a mix of meetings and experiments and uh, writing. See, that's, that's intense for me because I know the way that my mind works. I don't know about you, Justice, but like, I I need a lot of structure to get things done, right? So mm-hmm. if it's me making that my own structure, that could be, that sounds like it's not very easy for a lot of people, yeah. No, it's hard. I mean, and it's, you can imagine it being even more difficult right now, too, with COVID, right? Because mm. usually a lot of us are so used to waking up and you know you're working somewhere different from where you live. So now having COVID right now, it's, it's, it kind of messes things up. But the biggest thing that they even tell people when they start college is time management, learn time management. And I can still say that I'm still trying to learn it because things change all the time and having to find that balance is, can be difficult. But yeah, you, you really have to kind of structure things yourself. Um, some people that do have experiments in labs that are using chemicals and things like that, they, they also have to structure their day to make sure that their experiments can all be worked out. I actually didn't want to ask you about that because I saw in some of your work you've been doing, you were working with uh, MRIs a lot. I'm not sure if you're still working with those machines now, but for people who are using research where they do need access to those kind of machines or to actually be inside mm-hmm. of physical labs, what options do they have? Like, Do you know if there's some kind of uh, transition they made so that you can still work on your research as COVID is going on? Yeah, yeah, there are. Um, a lot of people are really, I can say, are back to work now, but there are, um, not limitations, but there are procedures in place now. So for me, because with MRI, I would say that our, um, our experiments where we're get, getting our data from our MRI, it's, it's really kind of one or two sessions that someone is in an MRI. We, we gather everything that we need to gather. That usually takes an hour or two, sometimes longer. And then once you've got everything you need, then you're just doing analysis at home or in your office. But for people who are physically carrying out um, experiments in a lab where they are doing things with animals or mice and things like that, they, they have procedures in place right now where there's limited capacity in the lab. So sometimes you have to stagger the schedule so that there aren't too many people in the lab at any one time. Um, they have to, you know, social distance, like most of us are being told, wear a mask the whole time. Um, so I have friends who are like working hours that they normally wouldn't, like, let's say from 
5 p.m. to 8 p.m. because they, someone else is working earlier in the day. So those oh. are the kinds of things that schools are starting to do. And I'd say most whatever graduate students are able to work. Yeah, whatever it takes. <laughs> yeah. And, and honestly, there's some people that never stopped. So there are people who have to take care of these research animals, right? Those people have been working um, and they never stopped. They may have changed their schedule slightly just so that there aren't as many people. But mm. some of these um, areas have been working, you know, since everything began and never really stopped. And similarly in the hospital, like healthcare workers, their work doesn't stop. For sure. So there are, mm. there are aspects of research that have been continuing and some have had to, you know, be put on pause um, while, while things are still being figured out. So is that still your main uh, area of research right now, MRI and heart health? Yeah, so my, my project specifically is using the MRI to better understand a specific uh, cardiac disease um, or a disease that affects the heart, which is called Duchenne muscular dystrophy. Uh, so this, this disease, it impacts your um, the function of your muscles. So these kids that have it, they end up losing their ability to walk uh, at a pretty early age, like 9 or 10 years old. Mm. And if you think about it, too, your heart is also this giant muscle. And so because of this um, disease that they have, their heart eventually stops working the way it should. And so what we're hoping to do is use MRI to find or really pinpoint when the heart starts to become affected because they are taking medications um, to kind of help with that. But if you know earlier, then the doctors can make better decisions on the types of medications and hopefully improve their um, the quality of life and also, you know, how long that they're able to live. So I am still actively working in that area. And COVID also has had some impacts in that area for me, too. You said COVID has had some impacts. What, what impacts were, are, are those? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so it's a human subject research. So for for me, I have to um, enroll uh, boys that have this particular disease, and so you can imagine with COVID, people may not be may not be comfortable to come in for a research study when it's not their doctor's visit or something mm. like that, because it's really kind of an elective thing. Um, so that's been difficult, and uh, an important piece of my project is also finding out if. Um, some of these measurements that we take from MRI are going to be important for like later down the line. So like a year from now, if we take a look at the same subject, you know, has this measurement the MRI changed or is it still the same? And so I'm coming to a point where it's been a year for quite a bit of the subjects we have and it's, you know, coming up around the same time as COVID. So we're missing some of those time points. And so that might make things a little bit difficult for just, analysis later on because we're not looking at everybody at the exact same time that we thought we would be yeah i think that's the one thing about this virus that we all weren't very prepared for you know there's so many <laughs> things that get set back especially for you guys being that you do research you know there's <laughs> there's so many things that have to happen you're talking about laboratories making sure labs are clean making sure that you're able to get people in so you can even you're able to do the research on on these uh on these clients right so that i i i feel like covid has really put us in a place where we're starting to realize where the kinks in our system are and mm -hmm. and how exactly we can move around them i think they actually hit yeah. a daily well, high or a, a high in europe right now for the uh the daily cases just two mm -hmm. days ago so it seems like we're gonna be in this for 
at least a few more months, maybe summer 2021. Yeah. But I'm assuming a lot of these universities, institutions are going to start transitioning the way they uh, function. Mm-hmm. So that, of course, right now in the first year of COVID, six, seven months in, maybe we're not prepared to, uh, to work the way we usually do. But maybe if COVID's still around three months from now, we're still going to be able to operate as we did yeah. last year. Maybe we're going to be able to go back to that. It's really, it's really good to hear, though, that researchers are, like yourself, Nyasha, are taking the time to try to get around COVID and it's not completely stopping your research. Yeah, no, definitely. And I, I think I can say that for just about almost everything that's going on, uh, whether it's in, it's in entertainment, whether it's, you know, the churches. Like I think something that is really important to highlight is that everyone I think has really had an open mind for the most part as to how they can be creative and uh, mm. find a way to still you know, have these aspects of our daily life, um, even with this thing going on. Um, so I'm, I'm also very happy that the institution that I'm at is very serious about, um, you know, taking precautions, but also trying to let things continue as they can in a safe and orderly manner. So for sure. Yeah. So, I mean, this podcast is really focused on young people and, you know, being the undeniable future what we see um, happening in our lives as we get older as well, I think is very important. So you work Mm -hmm. in heart health and heart disease. So do you believe, I mean, at least right now, heart disease is an old people's problem. At least that's what we're told. So as young people, should we see it that way? Is it something that we should worry about when we get older? Or is it something that we should be cognizant about and try to make changes early on in our lives now? Yeah, I, it, like you said, you know, it's the latter part of that comment. We should not consider it as an old, you know, old age problem because mm. um, heart disease is is sneaky, and we can go on for a really long time thinking that we're okay when really we are progressively getting worse. So um, I'm I'm not a cardiologist. I'm not you know a doctor, MD, or anything like that. So do take this with a grain of salt, but. It's, yeah. it's important that you are, you know, cognizant of the lifestyle that you live and what health and diet choices you're making, because that is something that has been uh, shown time and time again in a lot of research is that your your, your diet and your lifestyle are, are really, really important and impactful towards your overall cardiovascular health. So I think as young people, we have to keep that in mind and we have to also keep in mind what, what is our family's uh, health history look like, right? Like, yeah. you know, some people have that more so in their family. And so if you know that for sure, definitely be thinking about it, you know, much sooner and start talking to your primary care physician and asking them, okay, what are certain things I should be doing? And we have to normalize also going to the doctor when, we, when we're fine. We shouldn't wait until we're not fine to go to the doctor, but mm. really just do something as a preemptive measure and go and just start, you know, taking charge of your health. Now, you, you talked about uh, coronavirus being a limiting factor in people who are doing research in, uh, in heart health and just science in general. But do you think that um, maybe cost is also a limiting factor? Because I was reading about, up on um, the MRI studies you were doing, and I was wondering if the cost of MRI is so high, are there all other alternatives somebody can go to if they want to get the, the checkups they would need? Yeah, so that is definitely a limiting factor uh, for sure is, is the cost of MRI in general. And I 
don't know how the entire, you know, system works. I know you guys are in Canada and in the U.S. and already the healthcare systems are different, but um, it's, it's hard. And I don't know um, what usually is first, but I can say that MRI is never the first thing that uh, your uh, physician would have you um, go for if you're just going for a routine checkup. If everything else is normal, there is... Um, uh, what is an, an um, electrocardiogram or an echocardiogram that is something that the doctors can do right in their office. And so they usually use that first to just get a good a good understanding of your, your heart health and how your heart is beating. So MRI is usually one of those things that's used as a tool to look further into something that might have come up in your normal visit. Mm. Um, but once it's, once it's time to use it, um, typically it, it's, you know, it's not hard for people to get one if it if there's an indication for something that the doctor is looking for. But if we okay. just want to go and get an MRI, that might be a little bit dif- difficult. And that's something I really hope changes in the future because from the research aspect of MRI development and MRI analysis, we can do so much basically any time that we want to, given you know our our access with our institution. Mm-hmm. And so I have friends who are developing really cool techniques that can one day be used to study really cool diseases, but the time it's going to take for something like that to be validated and tested and then actually used as a tool by the doctors in the hospital, that, that really takes a long time. And I think that's something people don't always understand. And so sometimes it does uh, feel a bit discouraging to, to be able to have all this access and know that, okay, even if something like this gets developed, the people in my community that might need it the most may actually never get to have it um, because of the cost that may be associated with it or because of just the additional hurdles that it's going to take for it to be available to people in my community specifically or lower socioeconomic um, areas. And so that, yeah. that is definitely something that is, I think about a lot. And it's, it's just a really difficult problem we have in our healthcare. When you see the disparities that exist right now in healthcare, do you believe there's going to be a time where things like that, like let's say MRI and heart health in general, when it comes to just information, um, being able to get uh, doctor's visits where you get your heart checked up more? I mean, the health systems in Canada and in the U.S. are very different. People here go to the doctor for no reason at all. But like in the U.S., you know, just to check, like people said. are afraid of going to the hospital because of the cost. So do you think there's going to be a point where people are going to have easy access to the um, machines and techniques that you guys get to use in your research? I really hope that we can come to a time where I think that I can confidently say that I believe that there's going to be a future where that's going to be the case. Um, I think, I mean, I think it's definitely possible. And there are, there are already uh, a lot of people in place and organizations in place who are working towards this. And I definitely commend all of those um, organizations and um, hospitals that are already trying to work at this as far as increasing access to, to, to healthcare. And so I think, I think we'll get there. I, I have, I have faith that we'll get there. I just, I know it's going to take a long time and it's, it's one of those things where it's a priority thing, right? Because, that's where it's important with the leaders that we elect is that what are their priorities as far as the local healthcare, national healthcare, you know, and, and global healthcare. And so sometimes a lot of this has to do with resources and funding. And so we have to have people in place who believe that things like that is a, are, are priorities so that the access can really be um, broadened to reach everyone. So, I mean, as far as, 
cardiovascular disease too is concerned. Uh, you know, something I think about a lot is, is the lifestyle and, and diet. And we can consider things like food deserts where um, the lower socioeconomic communities don't have access to like stores like Whole Foods or, um, you know, just these uh, health food stores that are, you know, really popular right now, but they're not building the stores in these areas because they don't think they're going to, you know, generate a profit. And so if these areas don't actually even have access to healthy food and they only have access to food that is not going to be as nutritional for, for them, then, you know, already sure. they're going to be at a disadvantage. So I think one of the great places to start too, um, and there are, again, there are people who are already starting to do this and lots of really cool people in LA doing that as well, where they're trying to increase, you know, access to healthy food to um, various areas that are, um, you know, considered, you know, in the lower socioeconomic range. So um, I think if we can have access to healthy food for everyone, that's a start, mm. really. And then hopefully that there's also um, increased access to affordable health care and just, you know, health care for everyone because I feel like that's a human right. Everybody deserves to have um, the health care that they need. And I assume that the perspective you have on this is informed by you being a black woman and what you can bring to the table as a scientist and as researchher is different from what someone else might be able to bring. So what would you say to someone who might be interested in getting into science, getting into STEM majors, who is apprehensive about it? And uh, what, what would you use to pitch them to get into this? Because I think there's a disparity in the amount of people who are in these fields who do care about the minorities and people who are not able to get the same access to healthcare. What would you say to somebody who's uh, thinking about getting into healthcare? I would say do it um, because, you know, what, whatever is driving your heart to, to do that, I think pay attention to that and do it. I, I think no matter what you do in life, there are going to be challenges. And I think people do know that. So I, I would say not to um, meditate too much on the challenges, but really just think about, okay, if I do this, if I have a chance to affect change in this specific area, what are the possible outcomes of that? And, how many people are going to benefit? What are the rewards? And so those are the kinds of things I think about, you know, personally with, you know, the PhDs that I'm pursuing is that I, I don't really feel that it's, it's just for me. It's really not for me at all, but I'm, I'm really interested to gain the skills I'm gaining now and supply those to help people in my community and outside and beyond as well. So I would say that anyone who may be feeling discouraged or not sure where to start, um, I think just definitely hone in on that um, motivation and passion that you have to help people and affect change and, and just go for it. That's, that's a lot of great advice. This conversation has been really intensive. I think there's a lot of stuff we got into that we weren't even really expecting to. And it's really <laughs> yeah. cool because the way we were seeing this conversation in our minds, we wanted to really get an idea for the, for, for people who want to be scientists or for people who want to go on into PhD programs, what that kind of life is like and to have you explain that. And it's been, it's been really eye-opening for us. I mean, there's a, we're always here, you know, be healthy and whatnot. But as young people, I think we often feel this feeling of invinci invincibility, especially when it comes to our health. So it's good to have somebody, you know, be, tell you like, hey, if you start young, you'll be better off later on in your life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I guess this is the last question we got for you here. 
what is something in the medical science field that you feel deserves more attention? Um, sure, I'll, I'll, I've been thinking about this a lot because this is an area of research I'm interested in. Um, and, you know, it's been really eye-opening to, um, to see everything that's going on in the world right now, for sure. And I think a lot of people are being enlightened, but it, you know, people said this time and time again, you know, uh, that the most disrespected person in the U.S. is the black woman. And, and that is true. And also the most overlooked woman is the black woman. And there are lots of women in particular who are um, suffering from fibroids. And these are typically um, non-malignant or non-cancerous um, tumors or growths that form in a woman's uterus. And for many women, they don't know that they have them for a long time because they don't necessarily bother them. And then sometimes they, they, they do have symptoms and, and they're just really... Um, they're just really, really bad and, and really difficult to live with. And right now there is no cure. And right now there's also not a great um, just treatment path overall. Like nothing is 100% successful. And so I'm really, really interested to see um, the medical science field look into that even more and for more um, dollars be put in that type of research because I think that it impacts a lot of things. So it impacts women's reproductive health, which impacts, you know, their ability to have children and impacts the world. So I think that's something that definitely deserves more attention and needs to be looked at in greater detail. I, I really appreciate you being on this podcast for that reason, because I think that a lot of these issues that you're bringing up that uh, are overlooked, I think the, a big part of the reason is because that there's not people in that field who are working, who see this in their daily life or know people who deal with these issues. So when we do have black women such as yourself who address these issues head on day to day, you're able to speak on them and raise an awareness in the places that you work that's not going to be there otherwise. And hopefully if somebody listens to this podcast and sees a young black woman doing this and says, I'm inspired to do this or I'm inspired to get into the health field. And uh, hopefully that's the biggest takeaway we have from this. Uh, is there anything else you want to say before we uh, before we close? I got one more question for her before we leave. Go ahead, Steve. <laughs> Hi, yeah, this is Steve. I just got one question for you, and it's uh, more on uh, yeah. uh, the role us as uh, black men can. Uh, how can we step up to actually empower uh, black women who do take on this, uh, uh, I guess, uh, fields of study, and and what what is it that we can do to, I guess, yeah, empower. <laughs> That's a great question. I appreciate that question. I think um, support is so important. I, I'm sure you all agree that whenever you're you're working towards something and you have the support of you know your friends and family, that you already feel that much more empowered to do it and that much more motivated and passionate to continue going towards something. So mm -hmm. I think support is really important, and um, just having you know our black brothers listening and supporting us is, is just always really key. I think just being a voice too, you know, in, in times where um, the woman's voice is not heard, you know, if some, if some men can step up and speak on their behalf, that is also, um, is, you know, is, is really important too. Oh, thank you. Yeah, thank you for that question. Yeah, thank you so much, Yasha, for being on the podcast. Um, I would like to take this chance right now to gloat a little bit. Yasha is my cousin. So, <laughs> you know, I just well, lets you know, that just lets you know what our family's about, man. Oh, That's yeah. what we do. Ain't oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, like we said, Nyasha, it was great having you on. Um, 
Hey, you know what? This was this was a great <laughs> conversation. We got into so much. I'm sure in the future we might have you on again. So appreciate a lot. Awesome. Thank you, guys. I'll just say quickly, if anybody has questions, um, I may not be in a particular study that you're interested in, but I've got to meet so many great students that I'm happy to forward contact info to for anyone that is interested. Yeah, where can we reach you? Like uh, uh, social media or like contact? Oh, uh, yeah, you can um, you can find me on Instagram at Nyasha Gracious or on Twitter at underscore Nyasha Gracious, which uh, Gracious is my middle name. Perfect, perfect. So, Nyasha, thank you again. We've said thank you a million times at this point. Um, we appreciate you being on the podcast. First guest of the Night Future podcast, by the First way. First guest, yeah. And you and killed it. Oh, you killed awesome. it. <laughs> oh, thank you, guys. This yeah. is great. I'm I'm so incredibly proud of you guys, and I want you guys to keep going because I think you guys are doing something that's really needed and that's important. So keep it up. Thank you. Appreciate that. That means the world, yeah. All right. So thank you guys for listening to another episode of the Undeniable Future podcast. We will catch you guys again next week. If you want to be a guest on the podcast, let us know. You've always got the space. Tough act to follow. Tough act to follow. Real tough act to follow. <laughs> <laughs>